Hello, and welcome to the 12th episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. You are sitting over there looking like a bronzed god. That's from the sunburn. (laughs) You are very, very colorful. (laughs) Now I feel self-conscious. Do you? Well, good thing this is just our voices. I know. We have voices and looks for podcasts. We do. We are just attractive enough for a podcast. There you go. That was a dig because people say you you have a face for radio. Yeah. I have the body for podcasting. I figured. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But you have been in the pool for two days straight. I have. So you are looking very bronzed. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. All right. So we don't have any business. Actually, we do have business. Uh Oh. Yeah. I've had a couple people ask me if we are going to do a Patreon. We are not doing a Patreon. We're in this because it's a hobby. So we're having fun with it, people. And if it turns into a job, (laughs) it's not fun anymore. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. And then let's do a shout out to one of our 11 listeners. All right. Who do you want to shout out to? Well, we have to shout out to our dear friend, Christina the Millennial. Yep. Because she has been tagging us on Instagram and trying to get all her other millennial friends to listen to us. And so we really appreciate you, Christina. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thanks, Christina. You're super awesome. Yeah. And you're definitely one of our top 11 listeners. Did you know that we're um, geriatric millennials? (laughs) What? (laughs) That's what we're called because of our age. Geriatric. Geriatric millennials, because we're before millennials, but so we're the old, we're the the end of the pre. I don't know what the hell. We're when Wi-Fi was created. Yeah, or we're before. What did we do? Like computer. Remember computer classes in high school? Yeah, and we would play the um. What was that trail game that we would play? I don't know trail game. Yeah, you'd play this game, and it was like. You were going through the trails of Oklahoma or something like that? Oh, no good could come from going through the trails of Oklahoma. Oh, my God. People are probably screaming at me right now. Should should we stop the podcast and I should look it up? Yeah, I got to look it up. Hold on. Oh, my God. Hold, please. All right. And we're back. It was the Oregon Trail. Okay, and, and remind me, what, what is that? Signi- how is that signi- significant? Because that's all we ever did in computer class when I was in high school, is we played the Oregon Trail. So you would use the computer, and then you would get dysentery and die. <laughs> I don't even remember if I took computer class in high school. You I probably, might have. You probably took shop or auto mechanic or I something might have. Like No, that. I did take, they didn't have auto, but I did wood shop. What else did I do? We did something. I forget. It was like some farm thing. and Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I, no we had to take computer class and we had to type in like www. Wow. Like, and then we had to learn it. Like, it's the World Wide Web. www. And then you would play the Oregon Trail and have 10 kids on the Oregon Trail. I have and die. never heard of that before. You haven't? I swear I've never heard of that before. Oh, and you actually went to a real high school. You weren't homeschooled for all of high school. No. No, I went to a public high school. Okay, so people are probably screaming at me. Yes, 
I forgot it was called the Oregon Trail. So if you are a geriatric millennial, stop yelling at me. That's it. I forget things because I am a geriatric millennial. Did you know that when we had our last kid, I was right on the cusp of being a geriatric pregnancy? What defines that? When you're over 30. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you are pretty old. Geriatric is what they write on your chart. Oh, man. Isn't that rude? If you have gray hair while giving birth. I did. Then uh, you're a geriatric birther person. It was really rude. Hey, Daniel, do you have factoids? I got some factoids. It's actually positive. Yay. Because uh, it spins spins positivity for being married. Aww. I mean, there's a lot going against us, so we got to look up positive things. So <laughs> statistically, we're more likely to live longer if you're married than if you're not married. Oh, okay. I like that. So everything I read, it's more steered towards helping the guys, though. Mm. So for men, it makes a huge difference if I'm married than if I were single or divorced or, or widowed. Okay. So it would seem that we really fall apart without you. I tell you that every day. Yeah. No, it makes sense. (laughs) Statistically, married men live longer. However, it shortens women's lives by a year or two. So, but women usually outlive men. So I don't know that that really seems to matter much because you're going to, you're still going to live longer than us. Does it kind of even out maybe? Perhaps. So we, women lose years, men gain years. Yep. Okay. Yep. Here was something funny. Couples tend to, we share like health risks Mm. and they say it's because people tend to choose people similar to themselves. Yes, we are very narcissistic. So married couples tend to share things like hypertension, cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, (laughs) smoking, (laughs) right? You share cholesterol and Well, you don't share cholesterol. Like here, you're gonna obesity. I'm gonna take a bite, then you're gonna take a bite of cholesterol. <laughs> High cholesterol is what I meant. Okay. We share our medications. Um yeah. so then uh and then I was reading there's this article. It says uh, Australian doctors have reported success with a program that they try and improve nutrition and exercise habits with both the husband and the wife. Right, because if one is trying to get healthy and lose weight, then the other person should probably. Right, and try typically to help. they both have the same problems. Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to tend to eat the same, mm-hmm. exercise the same, and stuff like that. So it was kind of cool. You'll like this: women who marry men much younger increase their mortality by twenty percent. Meaning, it's not healthier for you to marry a young dude, a young stud. Oh, it's not. It's not, but. Men that marry women much younger than than them increase their life expectancy. (laughs) Damn you. Damn you, men. So when you see these 55-year-old guys trying to run after these 30-year-old new wives, statistically, they're going to live longer than if they hadn't done that. Wait, repeat that. Say that again. So older men Uh that find a young wife... Right. It will actually help them increase their life expectancy. Okay. And so like that young wife probably is more active, probably eats better. So it gets him healthier. So he lives longer. Okay. But women, the inverse is true. So if you're a 55 year old cougar and you find this 30 year old pool boy, Uh he's going to drag you down and you will not live as long. 
Oh, that is not fair. It's not. Ladies, that is not fair. It's pretty funny. So if we, if you left me for a younger woman... It would be to my benefit. It would be to your benefit. But if I left you for a young stud, that would not be It would shorten your life benefit. expectancy. Yeah, Correct. that's not fair. I don't like that one. It's not fair. Okay. <laughs> so the whole point of all this is that you're much better off overall getting married and staying married. Yeah. That's pretty much the bottom line. All right. And for guys, make sure you marry a young hot chick. that's it that's all i got all right that was a good one yeah that was fun are you ready for my case i'm ready you ready to hear this Yep. show it to me okay i have in front of me the case of jack and christina kettlewell kettlewell that's a good last name it is on may 20th 1947 In Severn Falls, Ontario, Canada. Nice. I know, we're going to Canada. You know I love me some Canada. A local fisherman and boathouse owner, Neville Sweet, was watching the remaining structure of a remote cottage smolder and crackle. Neville noticed that the rock chimney was the only part of the structure that remained intact from the blaze that engulfed the house only a few short hours earlier. As he began to walk along the shore of the Severn River, he noticed a woman dressed only in a floral nightgown, lying face down and not moving. She was only 150 feet from the burned-out cabin. As he drew closer to the body, he realized her face was submerged in water, and she was obviously deceased. That's not very nice. When first responders were able to get to the body... They realized it was the 22-year-old newlywed, Christina Kettlewell, who had been staying in the cabin with her new husband and their best friend, who happened to own the cottage. A local first responder, Major Lawrence Scarfield, thought the location of Christina was strange because he had been attempting to put out the fire a few hours earlier and had gone down to the river to retrieve buckets of water on that same stretch of beach and had never noticed her body or anything out of the ordinary. Christina Kettlewell is the woman who has gone down in Canadian history and folklore as the unsolved case of the eight day bride. Oh boy. So they had their friend with them (laughs) at their honeymoon cabin. Is that, am I starting to gather that correctly? Yes. Oh God. Yes. So this is our first unsolved case. Nice. Oh, we can solve it. I think we could. I think we have the skills. Do you know what I would do if our last name was Kettlewell? What's that? I would go to like uh, fairs and call it Kettlewell's Kettle Corn. (laughs) And that's what we would sell. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yep. I don't know what else you could do with that name but that. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. All right. So this is the story of the eight-day bride. Christina Cecilia McCann was born on August 7th, 1925 in Toronto, Canada to parents Kazim McCann and Mary McCann. Her parents immigrated to Canada from Poland. They were devout Roman Catholic. And at 22, Christina was working in a bank in Mimic, Ontario. Nice. 
On May 12, 1947, after disappearing for two weeks, Christina's sister Helen found her at the home of her boyfriend of three years, 26-year-old John Ray Kettlewell, but everyone called him Jack. Uh An argument ensued and Helen left. Christina and Jack decided to elope a few hours later. Their marriage was witnessed by their best friend, 28-year-old Ronald Berry, but everyone called him Ronnie. Nice. Jack Kettlewell, Christina's new husband, was born on April 11th, 1921 in Mimico, Ontario, Canada. He was a World War II veteran and was stationed in the Dental Corps. Now, I didn't know what Dental Corps meant. I thought it wasn't as obvious as it sounded. (laughs) I was going to say, I didn't know they had a division of dentists. They do. It's a naval officer who has a doctorate in either dental surgery or dental medicine and practices dentistry for sailors and Marines to ensure optimal oral health. Nice. All right. I can buy that. There's a third wheel in this story. And that wheel and that wheel is called Ronald Barry, who we in the story are gonna call Ronnie. All right. Ronnie came to Canada from northern Italy and tried to establish himself in the construction and insurance business with very little success. He was also a professional ballroom dancer, but he had not worked in over a year. So he wasn't a professional anymore? I guess not. Christina's family was not happy about the marriage. Jack was not Roman Catholic, but he had converted to be with Christina with Christina earlier in the relationship. Christina's father would still not give his blessing even after he converted. Her family was also bothered by the overwhelming presence of Ronnie. They thought it was weird that Ronnie was always with Jack and Christina, also implying that they thought Ronnie might have been in love with Christina. Ronnie even went on their honeymoon. Stop. Yes. The first few days were spent in an apartment in Toronto, just the three of them. The trio then headed to Ronnie's remote cottage in Severn Falls on May 17th, 1947. Severn Falls. Oh, what? No, go ahead. Okay. That doesn't sound good at all. Well, because when you're on your honeymoon, it's just supposed to be the two of you. You're supposed to just... Traditionally. Have, yeah, I would think that's traditionally what yeah, you would and get to know each other if you didn't already and have fun together. So what right? did he do while they're doing stuff? I don't know. Just sitting there filming, watching? <laughs> what's, he, what's he doing? Eating popcorn? Is he eating kettle corn? Oh. Watching... That never mind. Go yeah. Ahead. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. Severn Falls is a community located in Severn Township in South Central Ontario, Canada, between Lake Couchiching, <clears throat> I love that, and mm-hmm. the Severn River in Simcoe County. Sure. And Ronnie's Cottage was only accessible by boat. Yep. As soon as the trio arrived at the cabin, Christina began acting out of character and acting strangely. She was dazed and confused and would break into crying fits, then flipping a switch and being absolutely fine. 
When Christina and Ronnie were alone, she would tell him that she really didn't believe that Jack loved her and that she feels like a passing phase. On May 20th, four days after arriving at the cottage, Ronnie had been down on the shore sunbathing. As he walked back up the embankment towards the cottage, he noticed smoke starting to come out of the open windows. As he ran closer, he saw flames. Ronnie ran inside and found a disoriented Jack sitting in a chair with a bloody gash on the top of his head, and Christina was nowhere to be found. Ronnie grabbed three pieces of paper and carried Jack down to his boat and then proceeded to take Jack to the hospital on the mainland and contact the police. Jack was treated for burns, a head wound, and shock. And Jack had no recollection of the attack, nor the 12 hours before the fire. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Christina's body was taken to the morgue, and the medical examiner noticed there were no burn marks or signs of violence, such as bruises or scratch marks on the body. But there was a dangerous amount of codeine in her stomach. Codeine Uh is a drug found in some prescription pain medication. It is in a class of drugs known as opioids. Yep. Am I saying that right? Opioids? Yeah, or opiates. Opiates. Opioids. Okay. Yeah, for medicines. Which refers to any synthetic, semi-synthetic, or natural drug that has morphine-like properties. Coding can cause agitation, hallucinations, fever, confusion, dizziness, fainting, nausea, and about 30 other side effects. Coding is used to relieve mild to moderate pain. So if you're using it for mild to moderate pain, it changes the way the brain and nervous system responds to that pain. Okay. It's also used to reduce coughing. It works by decreasing the activity in the part of the brain that causes coughing. Yep. Christina's death and the circumstances surrounding it became huge news. There was lots of media attention. Coverage of the case was splashed all over the Toronto Daily Star for months. Jack and Ronnie became celebrities, people even asking them for autographs and pictures. What? Yeah. The inquest into Christina's death began on June 19, 1947. An inquest is not a trial since no one was officially charged with Christina's death. It is an inquiry into the circumstances surrounding a death. The purpose of an inquest is to find out who the person was and how, when, and where they died, and to find out the details So the register of deaths needs those details to register the death. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. The registrar of death. The register. Well, it's spelled R-E-G-I-S-T-E-R. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Yeah. It's the register of death. All right. That would be the coolest name of a job for me anyways. If somebody is like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a register of death. But a register, I assume means a thing. And a registrar is the name of a profession of someone who yeah. registers things. I, I wrote it down exactly how mm, it was written I down. Know. I don't know. In layman's terms, it's simply a case to determine whether or not foul play was involved in Christina's death. The inquest uncovered a lot of interesting information, 
but the jury ultimately could not agree on whether Christina's death was foul play or not. So they were like, eh, we don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Now they call chicken fighting <laughs> foul play. <laughs> You're such a dad. You're okay, such ahead. a dad. Okay. Due to the, f- now this is a, um, this is a quote. Okay. Serious. Due to the fact that the post-mortem examination disclosed coding in the stomach of the deceased, and due to the suspicious fact that she was found drowned, this jury is unable to decide on the evidence given whether or not foul means were employed in her death. Jack and Ronnie were not charged in the death of Christina, and they were free to go on with their lives. And signing autographs. Christina's death was ruled an accidental drowning in nine inches of water. Dang it. Since this case is officially unsolved, there were two main theories that were presented. Okay, so that's the case. That's the entirety of the case. Okay, so she... That is all the information that I can find. She's laying down face first in water. No no signs of burns or anything like that. Yeah, so or, obviously she was out... For the most part, before the the house really got engulfed. Mm -hmm. And then Ronnie got um, Jim out. Jack. Jack. Ronnie got Jack out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Jack had obviously been attacked. Okay. And Jack also had codeine in his system. Wow. Mm -hmm. Ronnie did it. Oh, yeah? That's what you're going with? Yep. Okay. If if uh, he couldn't have her, then no one could. Okay. You ready to hear the theories? There's two major theories. Yeah, I know I'm going to be wrong, so go ahead. Okay. Theory number one, Christina was suicidal, never truly believing that Jack loved her. Those three pieces of paper that Ronnie grabbed from the cabin were actually suicide notes. So all Ranny, all Ranny, all Ronnie grabbed from the cabin were these three pieces of paper and Jack and ran out of the cabin. But that was his story that he grabbed three pieces of paper, right? No, but he, he physically grabbed three pieces of paper. Says who? They have just, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. So those three pieces of paper were suicide notes. These were written by Christina. These were Christina's suicide notes Okay, that Ronnie had kept. Two had been written before she and Jack were married. And the last one was written the day before the fire. The first suicide note written on Easter Sunday, which was five weeks before they were married, stated that she couldn't bear to see Jack end up with another woman and dying would be better and that she was going to poison herself. Okay. The second suicide note was written at the end of April. Christina wrote, when you love someone, you really love him. And I know there is no one for me but Jack. And if I cannot have him, I do not intend anyone else to. I waited, as you might say, in the hope that Jack would ask me to marry him. But I realize I am just a passing fancy. The first two letters were addressed to Ronnie. That's weird. Which meant he knew about Christina's unstable thoughts and might have gone on their honeymoon as a way to prevent her from going through with her plan. Why didn't he just tell them not to get married? 
I don't know. If you had that information mm-hmm. and you were close to the to the married couple, both of them, mm-hmm. and you knew one of them had, had that cooking, right? wouldn't you try and do everything you could to stop it or at least oh, let the other sure. one know? Because clearly it's not going to turn yeah. out well. 100%. Mm-hmm. All right. The third suicide letter was addressed to a Mrs. Thomas. It was written the day before Christina died. Mrs. Thomas owned the house that Christina and Jack had stayed in for a little while. In it, Christina wrote that Ronnie is in the boat outside somewhere. By the time he gets back, everything will be all over with. He must have been afraid something would happen because he is staying an extra day to make sure we go back to Toronto with him. Ronnie was asked by Christina to mail that letter out that day, but he had held on to it. All the suicide notes were confirmed by a handwriting expert to have been signed by Christina. Signed by Christina. Okay. It doesn't say anything. Not written. Not written. Oh, boy. Ronnie held on to the letters and never told Jack about any of them until the inquest. Why would he only save the letters from the burning cottage and nothing else? And could those letters have, could she have signed blank pieces of paper and he could have written out those suicide letters? Because that's been known to happen. Because there's evidence in the cottage that he wanted burnt up. Yeah. All that he wanted to save was the letters. Was the letters that she to make her. That she didn't write. To make her seem. To, well, to justify the, yeah. the outcome. Right. To explain the outcome. Okay. That's my, I don't know. That's my guess. See, I already said that in the beginning. I said he did it. I know. Okay, so this is theory number two. All right. This is the big one. going to ruin all the rest of it. Go ahead. This is the big one. All right, good. That Jack and Ronnie were lovers. Oh. A couple weeks before Jack and Christina were married, two life insurance policies were written up for Jack and Christina, making Ronnie the beneficiary of both policies. Each policy was worth $5,000 a piece in Canadian currency, doubling to $10,000 if their deaths, I said that word, if their deaths were ruled an accident. Oh boy. In today's monetary value, that would be around 200,000 US dollars. Huh. Ronnie had also taken out a $5,000 insurance policy on the cottage and had made Jack the beneficiary. That's $65,000 in today's value. Gotcha. Jack had also given Ronnie his war gratuity payment that he received as payment when he was discharged from the service. And Jack removed all of his family from his will. And no reason was given as to why. Wow. Christina's wedding ring was never recovered from her body or the fire. There's two different versions. Ronnie bought the ring. There's another version that says Jack borrowed the ring from a married friend. The price of the ring is speculated to have been worth between $1,000 to $13,000. But the ring has never been found. Ever. Wow. Mm -hmm. During the inquest, it was brought to light that Jack had admitted during police questioning that he and Ronnie had an intimate relationship for some time 
But both Jack and Ronnie denied that in court. Wow. Jack said that he was coerced into making that statement because he had had a head wound and I and was in shock and all this kind of stuff. And three hours after he was released from the hospital, that he was being questioned. Hmm. And they were like hammering him because they were trying to create the story right. of he and Ronnie being lovers. Right. So Jack said up on the stand that he was coerced to make that statement and that the police wanted to build that narrative in their report. Jack was beaten down during questioning on the stand and agreed again with the, with the statement that he and Ronnie were lovers. So they got him to admit that they were lovers when they were questioning him. Yeah. And then he denied it on the stand during the inquest. And then they kept hammering him on the stand. And then he broke down and said, yes, they were lovers. Gotcha. This is from an article from the Toronto Star. When Kettlewell, after vigorous questioning, agreed with Mr. Hopes, Mr. Hopes was the special crown counsel at the inquest. Okay. Agreed with Mr. Hopes' repeated suggestion that he and Ronald were male lovers. The fantastic triangle of twisted and thwarted emotions took shape. Nice. And that's it. Yeah, so I'm back to my original guess. So I think Ronnie, same thing. He didn't, he knew he couldn't be with. um, Jack. Jack. I don't want to keep wanting to say Jim. Couldn't be with Jack. So he decided to essentially get rid of both of them. Couldn't stand seeing him going that route. And just, that's got to be weird, though. To be in love with somebody and watch them get married. And if you're the wife. Mm-hmm. And then your fiance and now husband says, hey, this guy's coming with us. Right. But they were all best friends. They yeah. were all three of them were always together. That's still weird, though. Yeah. I don't know. She should have just married both of them. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. They take turns. Menage a trois. Sure. I kind of feel bad for the guys. I think Ronnie did it, too. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. But I feel bad that Jack was, like, hammered and outed out on the stand. Yeah, but then his wife's dead. So they had to determine, you know, is this murder? Was it an accident? Right. Was it aliens? Right. Okay, so because Jack was a dentist, he could get codeine. Oh. But he also had codeine in his system. Right. Did he get the codeine and then together with Ronnie, they decided to murder Christina? Or was Ronnie using the codeine to try to murder both of them? Because they both had codeine in their system. They'd have to willingly take it, right? Or they could add it to tea. That's true. He could have made something for them. Yeah, he could have added it to anything. So then she's she's so loopy on codeine that he just lays her down in the water and she drowns, right? Yeah. And then lights the house on fire, but then pulls Jack pulls out of Jack it. Out. Like, that yeah, like who gave either. Jack the head wound? Right. I bet all as a cover to to make it look like something happened. I don't know. That's what I mean. This is why it's unsolved. Hmm. And there's so many different theories. And Jack and Ronnie lived happily ever after. No, they did not. No, they didn't. Nope. Jack went on to remarry three years after the death of Christina. 
He had one son who never knew anything about the story until 45 years after the incident, his wife was doing ancestry work in the local library and came upon this story in the archives. They decided to not bring it up to Jack since he was in failing health, and he obviously wanted to leave this part of his history in the past. Jack died in 1998. He was 77 years old. Jack's only son believes that his dad might have been coerced to go along with Ronnie's plan because Jack was quiet and reserved. Jack's son said, I think this Ronnie guy sort of manipulated my dad and just dominated him. Ronnie moved to New York in 1956 and was never heard from again, even gifting his Pekingese dog named Ling to Jack's two-year-old son. The stone chimney and the brick base of the burned-out cottage were the only part of the structure that survived, serving as a monument to that fateful night for decades. Locals would say it was haunted and became a local ghost story. A much larger cottage was built using the brick base of the original cottage, with a bright red roof and large windows overlooking the Severn River and the spot where Christina's body was found on the shore 54 years ago. Wow. If I owned that house, I would 100% tell people that it's haunted. (laughs) Why don't they just tear the whole thing down and start over? I don't know. They used the base. So anyways, Ronnie moved to New York and nobody knows what happened to him. I'm sure he changed his name. All that good stuff. I think he was just a brilliant con artist. So it sounds like. Yeah. And he he probably is the one that murdered Christina. But I don't know about the Jack and Ronnie being lovers thing. I think he just really weaseled his way into Jack and Christina's relationship and just went everywhere with them. But there'd have to be something about Ronnie that Jack would want around. And that Christina would want around. Yeah, so much so that he wanted him in the most intimate portion of his life, meaning right after he got married. Like he didn't stand. On a honeymoon, right. He couldn't stand for them to be away from him. Yeah, he wanted him there almost as much as as his new wife. Mm, Yeah. But when you're on your honeymoon, why in the heck would you take a third party with you? I don't know. I mean, I'm Some, sure people do that, but that's, that just That's seems, what you're into, I guess. Just seems a little awkward to me. Seems like a lot of work. It does, because you got to worry about that third person. Well, no, you could bring more food, like, you know, it's yeah. just it's more stuff. And the suicide notes. Were they actually written by Christina, or had he just talked her into signing three pieces of paper? Yes. Yeah, I think so, too. She just signed three pieces of paper. I don't know. I'm sure it couldn't be that hard, right, to get her to sign three pieces of paper? No. And for the only thing for him to grab as he's running out of the fire cabin right, is his best friend Jack and these three suicide letters. Like I said, because there's prob- there had to have been evidence in there that he wanted burned up. Right. So he didn't want anything left. So Christina's death was ruled an accidental drowning. So Ronnie got $10,000 from her life insurance policy. But then Jack knew that he got that, right? Yeah. So what happened to that money? And then Jack got the money from the cabin burning Yeah. So he did that on his behalf. Right. And I'm sure that somebody pawned the ring, Hmm. but they've never found the ring. Do you think Jack could have been in on it a little bit? 
but then why why go through all that trouble of getting married? I don't know. I mean, he wooed her for three years. Yeah, I'm going just Ronnie. I'm thinking Ronnie too. Yep. I'm thinking Ronnie. Hmm. But we'll never know. Probably not. No, we'll never know. I mean, there are much smarter people that have been digging into this case for decades. And these are the two theories. Hmm. So I hope I That's didn't. That's crazy. I hope I didn't confuse you. No, that makes sense. It was kind of, it was a little confusing to myself. I tried to, tried to fix it so that I can understand it. <laughs> well, there's, it's three people on a honeymoon right out of the gate. It's confusing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's my case. It's a good case, babe. Our first unsolved case. I think we solved it. You think? Oh, for sure. Okay. Well, Canada, we solved your, your biggest unsolved mystery. Yep. Go find Ronnie. Yeah, Ronnie's probably dead. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say he was. Yeah, I say Ronnie's gone. If Jack was 77 in 98, right? Then I'm guessing Ronnie's not 100. So, all right. Well, if you are enjoying enjoying our podcast, please go rate and review us. We love a good five stars. That would be so helpful. Yes, I would. And review. Yep. And then we're on Instagram, Till Death Do Us Part podcast. We have a web, web. Oh, I cannot talk today. We have a website, Till Death Do Us Part.com. And we're on YouTube, Till Death Do Us Part True Crime Podcast. Our email is Till Death Do Us Part at att.net. And we still really want to have quickies with you guys. Oh, a quickie sounds nice. So people. if you email and throw us out a story or two, that'd be awesome. Can uh, start putting that out. We have a few and we even have a hometown. We have a Bakersfield story and I'm really excited, but we just need a couple more. Yeah. Be careful. Yep. Because marriage is a life sentence. It is. Yep. Lock me up. Throw away the key. That's already happened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Till next time. Bye.